Good morning, BHA. It is a podcast about barbershop recorded today. Richard Reeve in Queensland and there's Ash down in Perth. Two Australians talking about the greatest hobby on earth. Oh boy, it's swell to say. Good morning, BHA. And good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, BHA. Welcome to the latest episode of the best barbershop podcast in Australia. Um, hi, Ash. Oh, awkward. He's not even here. He's <laughs> off. He's off on secret assignment, ladies and gentlemen, on uh, on 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 uh, on location on a uh, an exciting Good Morning BHA project. So so uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, welcome to Good Morning BHA, a, a podcast about all things barbershop in Australia, with a little bit of a little bit of a dollop of non barbershop and barbershop outside Australia as well. Um, my name is Richard Reeve. I'll be flying solo today, and it is my great pleasure to introduce, among other famous things, the lead of the 1997 AMS Champion Quartet, Ford of the Bar, Nick Begbie. Hello! Hello, Richard. W- welcome to the podcast. It's uh, excellent to chat to you. Uh, it's something we've been um, wanting to do for a little while. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the uh, listeners, I'm in the Good Morning BHA studio in Brisbane and uh, Nick is in, in our, our satellite studio in uh, Sydney. Um, mate, uh, how's, how's lockdown treating you? Uh, well, I'm pleased to say that we're not actually in lockdown, unlike Victoria. Yeah. Um, so we Did are you're... socially distancing, we are wearing masks when we go out, we are hoping that we don't go the way of Victoria and we're sort of keeping the numbers they've been pretty steady and pretty low but we've had a few little a few little clusters around the state but we're hoping that people are sensible and and uh, we can keep it keep it to the levels it's at at the moment yeah yeah Yeah, so so your your life is is currently uh yeah not as affected as our as our mexican cousins south of the border that is true except that i was a singer until february yeah, well, <laughs> interesting. We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that yeah. in, in maybe substantial detail later on. Yeah. Um, well, mate, uh, so kicking it off, going right back to the beginning, um, you, you um, tell us about your musical background as a, as a, as a kid and influences and what, what, what got you interested in music and singing, uh, which yep. then, of course, led you into, um, into you, you uh, studied music at university, didn't you? No, I didn't. Ah. So I, I'm the only musically non-educated uh, welcome non, to the club uh, non uh, how do i put this nice more nicely uh, non <laughs> fo- non formally educated um you singer, went to the university in my for your music training i did <laughs> um i mean look i grew up in a very musical family my dad studied voice and cello at the sydney con my mum studied piano at the adelaide con um she was a piano teacher for a long time, and my dad sang in the sixties in a quartet, a folk quartet, not unlike Peter Paul and Mary, except there were four of them, um, with two oh. of his, with his two brothers and one of his sisters. So that they were a family group. They were called the Kinsfolk. They released several albums. They toured the states. They did a bunch of really cool gigs and. We grew up listening to their music, so they were, they all sang, but it was singing with a bass, uh, like an upright bass, two guitars, 
and it was yeah it was kind of our our musical our musical childhood i suppose listening to our to our parents folk group which was cool awesome. yeah so okay so folk music sort of in yeah in, in the um the sort of the seekers fleetwood mac sort of genre um i would say seekers uh peter paul and mary yeah cool. kind of awesome kind of vibe and it's very uh, easy listening yeah and awesome it really it was it was something that we didn't you know we just sort of grew up with it not really knowing that it was a particular genre it was something that my parents listened to a little bit of jazz a little bit of folk but a lot of classical because my mum was a classical pianist um and what so happened music in the blood yeah so essentially uh, i also have a lot of cousins so i have 20 first cousins and 14 okay. on 14 on my dad's side and and my dad's siblings are obviously who were all in the band they're all um, very musical. All the cousins are quite musical, but the the standard thing to do at Christmas for the wider family Christmas was to hand out um, Carol's scores and for everyone to just go and stand in their parts and sing their parts. So I had an early induction into harmony singing. Yeah, and I'm sorry, yeah, cool. Um, my, I never learnt to read. I didn't learn to read at that time. I didn't learn music. I didn't learn theory. Um, I think my mum probably tried to teach me music at some point and, <laughs> and very swiftly gave up. <laughs> because teaching your kids, uh, you know, formally is pretty tricky. Um, uh, and, then, and then I still remember being at a camp. It was a camp, like a summer camp that I, was, I had been sent on for a, an Anglican summer camp. And we're sitting around singing um, church songs. And this is the first time I'd been in a large group like this where everyone was singing a song. And everyone else seemed to know all these songs, but I had not experienced any of these songs before. They were sort of, you know, I guess they were uh, kids' um, church songs and things like that. And I remember so clearly sitting in this group singing these songs but what I would do was I would sing just notes that fit in the chords because I didn't know the melody so I'd just be singing and you're woodshedding yeah and one of the counsellors I remember still came up to me and said so when did you learn to sing in harmony ah. and my response was what is was harmony? I singing in harmony <laughs> no what is, what harmony? is harmony yeah because you know, I'd I'd grown up around all this stuff, but it never been explained to me. Um, and then, I out of that camp actually, I started singing with a little group that formed, a, with some of the camp counsellors. So they sort of roped me into doing a couple of, I think we ended up doing a couple of Christmas, caroling gigs in shopping centres and things. Uh, and then, interestingly, my voice started breaking. And my dad was concerned that I might damage my voice singing through the breaking period. Um, they weren't aware of how to teach me to sing properly so that I wouldn't damage it. Um, and so they actually just stopped me from singing wow. for a few years. And now having said that, don't get me wrong, this is not abuse of any kind. I do not remember that at all. Oh, wow. they, they told me that later. And so you then don't what, remember missing singing? No, 
I didn't because I was, you know, I was a teenager. I was doing all sorts of other stuff and playing lots of tennis and, you know, just kicking around. And then when I was in year 11, I found myself in school spending my free time in the music room, um, essentially just sort of teaching myself to play chords on the piano. Um, and this came about because my brother had started tinkering, tinkling the ivories at home. And I guess I just wanted to do what he did. He's an older brother, of course. Mm, mm. Um, and so I sat down and I got myself a piano chord dictionary and I started teaching myself all the chords that you see written in the score. So I didn't, because I was not musically literate. Um, and so I would then play the chords and accompany my own singing of the melody of mostly Elton John and Billy Joel, I, I must say. It was, it, it was the late 80s, let's face it. <laughs> and then that was when I was 17. And then when I was 18, I actually went, this is all in Canberra, I actually went, uh, went to see if I could get a gig playing piano and singing in a piano bar. And I got my first gig towards the end of year 12 um, when I was 17 and it started out as <laughs> as these uh, the place would basically give me a meal for coming and doing a set and then eventually they started paying me and uh, then I took a year off went overseas and found myself playing piano in piano bars in Tokyo in London and then I came back and I did that all through my uni in Canberra. So that was my uni job, which was a sweet job because it was a, a quite a good hourly rate compared to actual waiting on tables. And I found myself with between two and four gigs a week around town. And, which is uh, perfect for a uni student. Which is absolutely perfect. So yeah. they, were late, they were late at night and yeah. I'm pleased to announce that I only fell asleep at the wheel on the way home once. Wow. Um, but I was only on the shoulder of the road when I woke up, which was fortunate, (laughs) but that was because a lot of those gigs were like in clubs from 10 PM to 2 AM. Yeah. And yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a slog. Um, but But then, yeah. So you, um, hadn't had formal training before that, certainly not for voice and you had taught yourself to play piano. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. But my piano skills were they were accompanying skills and what I did was to <laughs> to to learn the introductions of these songs because I really I had a little bit of a fixation on about playing them properly as as the original artist had played the the introduction so I literally just had to read up the stave to figure out which notes were which because mm. um, I knew that every good boy deserves fruit and yeah it really is one, one out of ten music skills yeah 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 and so I, I literally it took me a long time to learn to play the introductions and the rest was really um, just getting a feel of how the song goes mostly just playing octaves and fifths in the left hand and then chords in the top hand and breaking the chords up so it wasn't just plonk 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 but then distracting everyone from my amateur piano playing with my voice. With your sweet voice. And <laughs> in, in hindsight, do you think over that, so that was for a number of years, yeah? 
Yeah, it was. Do you, do you, would you consider you went from, say, a modest um, pianist to quite a good pianist after a few years, after playing every week? I think I, think I was good at that kind of piano playing. Right. So I, I wouldn't consider myself a good pianist, but at the kind of piano playing that's required to play pop, the backing, you know, the accompanying part yep. of a pop song that someone's singing over the top of, absolutely adequate yeah cool okay. um and then in and then i started at uni when i was at uni i did a uh, i actually did an arts asian studies degree and i majored in japanese and linguistics and but then in year in second year i think second year uni let me think hang on 92 it's probably around second year uni i auditioned for the vocal jazz ensemble at the School of Music in Canberra, which for me, because I wasn't at the School of Music, was extracurricular. Um, and it was a 12-part vocal group for uh, sops, four altos, four tenors and four... No, sorry, three of each. Three sops, altos, tenors and basses. And often accompanied by a jazz trio. Um, but I auditioned for that and got in and then every Friday afternoon I went across and sang tenor with this vocal ensemble which was actually quite quite accomplished um, some great singers uh, we were learning really really hard charts really hard jazz charts often written by Gene Perling um, and that was that was a very steep learning curve for me because the, all the harmonies I'd learnt to that point were basic harmonies. And of course, then of course, uh, with Gene Perling charts, you start getting into some really tricky, tricky harmonies. And of course, I then would have to take those charts home and to learn my part once again, I'd have to just sit there at the piano and count up the stave and <laughs> it was, it was tedious, but I was really motivated because I enjoyed the the multi-part singing so much. Um, and I made some great friends. In fact, the idea of North formed out of that vocal ensemble. Because that, that was what was confusing me because according to the, the all-knowing um, uh, uh, electronic being in the sky, yes. um, uh, yeah, idea, of form, uh, idea of North formed um, in 1993, uh, school of Music at... Uh, Correct. The, yeah, in Canberra. Yeah. So the other three were all studying at the School of Music. The right, soprano okay. and alto were doing jazz voice and our bass was doing jazz trumpet performance. Um, and, and Andrew finished his degree in jazz trumpet performance and um, Trish and Meg also finished their degrees in jazz voice performance and I so was just there for fun. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Tell me about briefly the audition process. And did you go into that setting? I mean, you'd now been, um, you know, performing in public as a soloist for many years. So you kind of were comfortable in, and confident in your own voice and your own voice performing. Going into the School of Music, was that, did you feel, um, did you just like run through brick walls for that? Or did you, were you, was that a bit intimidating or was it all good? I think it was fine. I, I, I've learnt, I've learnt from reading um, books about it that I'm uh, what's considered to be a non-shy introvert. Okay. So I have no problem standing up in front of people. Um, and I remember the audition quite well, actually, because the only intimidating thing about the audition was the auditionee, the, the auditioner, 
who was the jazz vocal instructor at the school at the time. Her name is Jerry Scott, and her reputation precedes her. She was a she was an absolutely wonderful woman, but could be quite scary. <laughs> but you know what? I I don't remember being nervous. I just walked in. I sang a cappella. I sang uh, "Heard It Through the Grapevine," um, which has got quite a big range as a as a lead voice and um, I guess she just enjoyed the fact that I had quite good control of my upper register, my falsetto um, and also even if I'd been bad she may have hired me because tenors are so rare. <laughs> that was my next question. Um, so it was not flooded with, with, with auditionees? Uh, look the thing is that it wasn't that common for people not at the School of Music to audition for the Vocal Jazz Ensemble and someone I knew who was in it had suggested that I come and audition. So she had trouble filling the ranks of the group from within the school because there weren't, there typically weren't 12 vocal jazz students. It was a very tiny campus. There weren't typically more than 12 vocal jazz students there. And in fact, you know, one of the other tenors was an import as well. Um, Another tenor was also studying piano. Uh, one of the basses was, Andrew was studying um, trumpet. So, you know, it was a whole mix of, of backgrounds for the actual people singing in the vocal jazz ensemble. But cool. yeah, no, I had done, at that point, I hadn't done a lot of piano bar work, but I also had appeared in pretty much every performance kind of review that they that I we had in high school I'd done musicals and I'd done yeah. you know all the the performance showcases that high schools do so from your from your childhood and throughout your, your, your formative years and into your early adulthood it was just really clear that you loved singing and you loved ensemble singing which is pretty straightforward it is yeah I was yeah. indoctrinated early yeah nice. one might say uh, so uh, um, now that the transition, or so, t so talk to us about Fort of the Bar. This was about this time that it formed in the, the early to mid '90s. So yeah, tell us, t start us on that story. Yeah, okay. So Fort of the Bar um, was a group, I believe, that was around for like two or three conventions before I joined them, and they'd come second a couple of times. Um, from memory i think in how often was the thing was it every four years every two years the first one every was two 90, years. 91 um oh the, that was the first one yeah it was the first official in-person barbershop oh. convention in australia was 91 so um so yeah well four to the bar there four to the bar as far as my records show um it came second in 95 but i'm not sure uh if, if Ford okay the bar so competed before that yeah, so Fort of the Bar came second in 93 and they came second and that they called me after they came second because they lost <laughs> they lost their lead and they had trouble finding another lead so and they some, an existing member of Fort of the Bar knew you? No, no, they knew me because one of them knew of the idea of North and or oh, hang on Oh, geez, this is casting my mind That's back. That's all right. Okay, no, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Danny's partner at the time. Glenda. Glenda was... <laughs> I had gone to high school with Glenda. Uh, it's, everything's a small world, isn't it? 
And so she knew of me as a singer from high school, but then she might have also known or heard of me singing with um, the idea of North. Because the idea of North started in 93. Yeah. But we didn't do much public stuff until later on that decade. But anyway, so I think... Yeah, just looking I up think, the records here, Fort of the Bar came second in 93. Yeah, didn't, it yeah. didn't, didn't medal in 91, but came second in 93. Yeah, and then 95 as well, yeah. Yeah, so in 93, they came second. And you'll, note, you'll notice Jeremy there... Jeremy Miller was the lead in 93, yeah. Yes. So you'll notice that the third placement in 93 was a group called Close Shaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So Close Shaves, uh, let me think... I have been around for a long time. I, I believe shows. Close Shaves Baritone, um, he, I think he was singing Baritone, yes. uh, is my Uncle Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small and world. And so, so when, when Ford of the Bar approached me, I had never heard of barbershop singing. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and but you knew your me, uncle sang it? No, because you didn't ever heard of it. Uh, I, knew, I knew he sang in a group. I didn't know what kind of music okay. it was. So they asked me if I'd sing with them at the 95 convention and and they and, and I then sort of discovered that that was the same thing that my uncle had sung at and I thought uh-huh. that would be really fun cool. to that would be really fun to see him <laughs> so I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for <laughs> most barber shoppers don't <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we rehearsed up a bunch of tunes and I remember very very clearly that the feedback we got in 95 when we came second so in 93 um, Ford of the Bar came second and my uncle's group came Close Shave came third and then in 95 we came second and Close Shave came third again yeah that's as, as the record shows absolutely yep. right yeah and so I remember very clearly that the uh, the main piece of feedback for our second placement in 95 was that I was too jazzy. Right. Well, you know, you were, <laughs> you were bringing your strength with you, weren't you? <laughs> so, that's your training. That's right. So I hadn't, I, I hadn't acclimatized quite adequately enough for the, for the genre. Um, Ironically, as the genre has evolved over the past 25 odd years, who knows whether that would now be seen as just more expressive or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very tricky. But anyway, look, it, it was great fun. I really enjoyed the work that we did to get to that spot because when we first started singing together, obviously, when you, whenever you change a member, anyone who's in a group who's listening who's changed a member knows how hard that is to do and how much you all have to kind of tweak your sound to match the new sound. And that is true actually of mixed groups as well. And, uh, and I remember the processes, some of the processes we went through in those first, that first year, because I think I only joined in 94 to get ready for the 95 convention. Um, we had massive sort of, you know, dropping problems going flat and all sorts of stuff was happening and we just tried a few interesting ideas on how to fix that and and um managed to nail it in the end so um we had a lot of fun we loved learning comedy stuff i think we learned a couple of fred tunes from fred Uh and performed them at the at the showcase 
And uh, yeah, look, it was really fun. And in fact, it was around that time that we went on red faces. <laughs> yes, this is highbrow Australian <laughs> TV entertainment for you. <laughs> we went on red faces and our judge was Kamal, the guest judge. Oh, wow. And uh, Red gave us seven out of ten. That's uh, pretty good. It's so good. He said... Because uh, he was infamous for giving zeros and ones and twos. Yeah, he was. And he said, I just think it's disappointing when people come on this show who can actually sing. Oh, right. <laughs> he complained you were too good. Um, so when you were uh, singing with Ford of the Bar, did you guys... Uh, you all lived in Canberra? Yeah, we all lived in Canberra. And, so and Canberra's was... not a massive place, so you would have lived re- reasonably close to each other. Yeah, 15 minutes That's away. That's pretty good. Yeah, yep. so we rehearsed at our base's house usually, and uh, once a week, um, if I could make it, because um, I had other rehearsals and things going on. So we sort of found ourselves cramming towards the end. I think oh. that's pretty common. <laughs> whether, yeah, whether, whether, whether it be a studying for an exam or, or, or cramming for a competition or yeah, yeah, Stedford, right. any of the above, yeah. Yeah, but no, that was, that was really fun. And 95 was also in Canberra. So it was actually held in Canberra at the, at the School of Music in Llewellyn Hall. So that was kind of nice hometown advantage. So what, um, tell me about the discussions inside Fort of the Bar through 94 and 95 leading up to your first convention. The quartet having come second, um, were, you know, their the appetite might have been quite whetted and they were just basically gunning for gold. Yeah, was there a fairly explicit goal in the quartet? There, yeah, there absolutely was. Um, they were super keen to break the silver barrier, having mm-hmm. reached it in 93. And, you know, I think, I think there wasn't, there was, there was probably more disappointment from them than from me because I just sort of stepped into this genre I knew nothing about and, you know, done my best um, with very little outside help, actually. Glenda was a great coach for us. Um, but, of course, I had many, many years of training singing a slightly different way. So you had a lot of muscle memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, lots of muscle memory to overcome. And I... Uh, uh, apart from being too jazzy, I'm sure there were other aspects of of the feedback that I I've totally forgotten about now. But yeah, yeah, no. But I'm I'm always interested in what motivates people. Uh, uh, you know, bringing four human beings together. Um, apart from you know musically clicking, they their 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 ambitions for why the group exists have to to click as well. So it, it sounds like. You know, with the history, they were sort of more just invested in it, and it was sort of all new for yeah. you when you were going along for the ride. Um, how? Um, tell us, tell us about the infamous was it today tonight story following around Dan, Danny, and the cab and various things because it was at um, being in in Canberra that the the, uh, uh, the the TV show did a did a story on Ford of the Bar as the local boys. You do you not remember that so much? You're furrowing oh your brow. God. Yeah, no, I am. I don't remember that. Certainly, at all. It's, certainly, it's seared into Danny's memory. So anyway, um, so moving on, uh, tell us about the um, yeah the the, the bounce back um, and and uh, the, the journey from '95 to '97 was well, there. Yeah, so it's it's interesting what you just said about motivations because. Mm. Um, yeah, there was there was definitely a a, a sort of a, a clear motivation to 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 win in '95, um, and the guys had come to me saying, "Look, we came close, and we just 
feel like we want to go on from here and, and um, get ourselves into a gold medal position. Um, and and I, th- I think then what happened after uh, 95 was that I became too busy to sing with Four to the Bar anymore because the idea of North was doing a lot more singing together um, and um, essentially I just couldn't, I couldn't do everything. I was also at the time singing with a seven part male group called the Singing Waiters and we had a lot of work where, you know, we actually did a lot of corporate work where we'd rock up and pretend to wait tables and then suddenly all of us would start <laughs> singing. A bit like, I think they're called the Three Waiters, okay. um, but, but they do the same thing in, with classical music. Cool. Anyway, that was something that was quite. I mean, it was sort of my. So my job were my job was playing piano in bars in piano bars and doing the singing waiters, and then my non-paid musical work was the idea of North, and I just sort of uh, my plate was too full, so I left Four to the Bar after '95, and then in February '97, having. Um, uh, the idea of North having sort of started to get a little bit more serious and well, I think we we recorded our first album in 96 and then released it in 97 around that time and I was I was working in the public service then as well. Um, Port of the Bar came back to me and said, look, we haven't found another lead. Um, how would That's you feel? That's good as you. It's nice that you want it, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't remember them saying those words. Or maybe we Let's haven't found, they did. we haven't found another lead as tall as you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, so they said we're wondering if you'd be able to join us for the convention in Sydney in '97. And my plate was so full; it was it it actually just had to be on a very different platform for us. So. Um, we got our diaries out and and sat down and I said, look, I can, I can do rehearsals here, 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 here. There were like maybe six rehearsal blocks that we could have between February and the convention. And it was then that we had some really serious discussions about the motivation because I had a, a little bit of a bee in my bonnet and this may not make me overly popular on this particular podcast anything g-rated is fine we're all friends here yeah yeah uh, but i had a little bit of a problem with the the rhetoric of the barbershop community versus the practices the rhetoric at the time and i haven't been in the scene for a long time but the rhetoric at the time was very much that it was a very community related event it's just for fun um, makes you feel good, all of those things that singing, we know singing does. And yet the biggest event on the barbershop calendar was this really highly competitive competition. And it wasn't, it was a, it was a friendly competition in some ways, but I also remember feeling uncomfortable with some of the, you know, the, the backroom discussions about about um, people feeling dissatisfied with the judging or 
um, feeling like things hadn't gone their way, you know, and, and that's not just, uh, that's not just other groups. I mean, you know, it became less about the fun in my eyes and in my experience to be at these conventions. So it's, it's massive observation in so far as, you know, the, just the concept of competition is a double-edged sword. You know, I think absolutely. I, I think, you know, most of us wouldn't work as hard or wouldn't be as organized or wouldn't be as, you know, focused or, and wouldn't achieve as much musically, etc. if there wasn't the that sort of hard deadline. Yep. But there's there's that there's the extra stress, tensions on relationships, you know, you, yep. um, all of that stuff and 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 yeah, I think it's a really interesting reflection on 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 the double-sided uh, yeah. human nature. And look, and I totally acknowledge that that the competition aspect has a very helpful side to it. So I really do acknowledge that. Um, what I found though was with Four to the Bar was that I actually felt like the personalities in that group um, were not suited that well to that competitive uh, aspect of the, of the convention. And so I suggested to the guys that we change our, change essentially change our um, our attitude towards the convention because for me I sort of didn't care if we won or not it was fun don't get me wrong I'm, I'm sure there are people out there saying oh yeah come on as, as if you don't care oh. and and I, I'm, I can tell you now, it was very fun. Winning. All things being equal, you'll take yeah. winning over not winning. <laughs> it, was, it was very fun winning because um, it meant that we had to get to a level that I enjoyed being at. Yeah. So, but the thing is that in our discussions, I wanted us to, I felt like they had actually, the comp competitive side of the convention had held us back from winning in a way, the first time. You mean sometimes so, we get in our own way as musicians and as competitors, and we sort of, we try too hard, and we sort of squeeze out the the free musicality and, and yeah. And, yeah Absolutely, and I think in life in general, often something, things are not about what we think they're about, oh, or, wow. or what, what culture and what our, you know, immediate, what our learning, tells us things are about you know and so you, sometimes you have to look below the surface of of our conventional wisdom or of of our indoctrination mm. and so you know the concept of the concept of the barbershop convention for me was i was introduced to it as this as a competition i wasn't introduced to it as a a, a friendly gathering where people made beautiful music together and and so in in 97 we decided to think about it as a concert that we were part of nice. rather than a competition and that our job was not to win the competition we changed our job our job at the 97 convention was to step out onto the stage and affect our audience huh. as best we could from an emotional perspective and to love our audience enough to want to do that and if you fill your head with other motivations, then you cease to think about, you don't have enough space in there to think about the words you're singing, to think about the people you are affecting, 
and to think about the things that the judges are thinking about you, right? And the less, the more you can get out onto stage and not think about yourself. And, and I say that because when you get out on stage and you think about the judges, what you're actually thinking about is, what do they think of me? How are me? they reacting to me? Yes. What do they think of me? Hmm. And the less you can think about yourself, the less you get in the way of the music and the more you will affect the audience. And that is our job as singers to affect the audience. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why Good Morning BHA is paying Nick Begbie such a high appearance <laughs> for, this, for this podcast. That is, mate, that is absolute gold. I'm, I'm a massive believer in, in being true to the music and, and letting that, uh, riding that like a, like a wave. Yeah, that's yeah, massive. So clearly, the, 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 the vibe in the quartet, the culture in the quartet and the feeling in, in the hours and days and weeks leading up to 97 uh, performance was just chalk and cheese to 95. Yeah, it really was. So we um, knew we had really limited time to get our tunes together. Um, did we you change knew... your repertoire? We did, yep. yep. And um, we also, I think we probably kept a couple of the non-com- non-competition songs that we'd done in 95, just in case we needed them uh-huh. um, for, you know, the afterglow. Uh-huh. Um, but no, we changed our rep for the competition itself. Um, and we just was that partly because you just wanted to sing new songs, or partly because you there was that old mentality around the previous songs? No, it was actually the former. It was just more wanting about new songs, just yep. wanting to do new songs. Okay, and um, and I think you know, in hindsight, it would have helped the latter, as in we would of course we weren't wouldn't have been as in a rut, in whatever rut we were in in the previous... More muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So yeah. we, were, we were learning new songs with the, a new outlook mm-hmm. as, best, as best we could muster because, mm-hmm. you know, we are all creatures of habit. Aren't we just... Um, and we just set out to keep reminding each other that, you know, this is... The competition doesn't matter. What matters is that the audience is moved and affected by the words mm-hmm. we sing to them. Mm-hmm. So, and the stories we are telling... And how song. good would the convention be yeah, if every competitor thought that, oh. just went out on stage and went, I want to connect through the music with the audience. That's all that matters. It's true. It would be yeah. so much better. However, yeah. Yeah. in defence of, <laughs> of all those quartets who aren't in the top 10 yes. sort of groups, I, I recognise that you need to get to a level of... Um, comfort with your music and with your voice and with your control before it's easy to start forgetting about that and sure. thinking about the words. But interestingly, in the years um, since then, my focus on the concept of looking at the lyrics before you look at anything else in a song has has sort of skyrocketed because... Wow. Because of course you need to, you know, you need to learn the music and you need to, to present a song and a story well. You need to get the notes right because if you don't, it's actually quite distracting for the audience. Of course. But at the same time, we've all seen a performance of a song where they got the notes perfectly right and there was no heart and no Boy, soul and no connection with the audience. And you can hear the person working their hardest to be accurate 
and it's like a bland a, yeah. it's like a spaghetti with no sauce mm. so I think there is an argument to suggest that before you learn a song as a quartet sit down with the words only and read it through like a poem or a story and read it through and then decide as a group what does this mean why was this written what is this story about and what emotions do we want to attach to this story and and once you've done that then that will that will actually inform every musical decision you make so what happens is the thing is that if you start with the words you cannot fail to make it, it will not fail to inform the musical decisions but if you start with the music the music doesn't dictate emotional decisions about how you sing the lyrics the music doesn't do that the other way it doesn't go the other way but the words do tell you how to sing right how to use the word how to use the notes hmm. it doesn't work both ways and so yes there are lots of groups who start with the music and then when they transition to words they spend enough time making those decisions about the words and they present an amazing performance but so often groups will get stuck in the dots and they don't make the transition fully to the story and to the words and to the emotions and that is one of the things that has really come sort of flooded into my being over the last well it's been what a very long time now 20 <laughs> 20 that, years or something. Uh, pun intended, uh, that, that would be music to the ears of, of, of you know, many people around Barbershop in Australia and just Music Australia because it's, uh, uh, it's, it's such a massive thing too. It's, yeah. it's the, the X factor is how to bring the song to life. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's what people, yeah, people walk out um, being touched by. Uh, my time is racing on. That's, that's, uh, um, not surprisingly, you've already touched on a, a, a few of the questions I was going to ask later yeah, on cool. anyway. But um, so we could do, of course, an entire podcast uh, about um, Idea of North. Uh, but let's just, just summarise it for our listeners, you know, in just sort of five or ten minutes. Obviously, it's um, been, a, been a, your main you know, passion and, and musical outlet and, and commercial uh, a, a project for, for um, over yeah. 25 years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, t tell us a bit yeah. about it. Well, yeah, so the idea of North did form out of the Vocal Jazz Ensemble at the School of Music, and it was an accident. Four of the members of that group started hanging out as friends, just not non-musically. <laughs> and then one day we were at someone's house and we just started jamming and just we probably hadn't even consciously recognised that the four people in this friendship group were a bass, a soprano, an alto and a tenor. Ah, um, and so we just started jamming on a few African-American spirituals because um, I had a book from my youth of four-part stuff and we started reading through them and then changing them and sort of jazzing them up, I suppose, because that was everyone's interest at the time. And we learnt a few. We sang them to friends. They said, that sounds awesome, learn some more. Um, we didn't do a public performance until this was in 93 we didn't do a public performance until 96 so there's a lot of of um barbershop culture in or, or should i say culture that's the same in in 
um, the origins of barbershop insofar as there were four of you sitting around singing with each other and mm. that evolved into what became a performance ensemble. Absolutely. And yeah. we, um, yeah, and we, the reason we recorded an album to start with was because we had some funding, we got some funding from the ACT government, the School of Music was backing it as well, and we were only doing it because our soprano was moving to Sydney so that we had a record of the tunes we learnt. Oh, wow. But then, in, <laughs> but then in 97, when we launched the album, the turnout was so massive. Wow, cool. And we, we sold so many of these CDs that we just sort of looked at each other and went, well, maybe we should... We have this, got to keep give this, this going. A go. Yeah. And so since then, we've, cool. re we've recorded another 13 albums. Amazing. Um, we have recorded um, two ARIA award-winning um, best jazz albums, which has just been so amazing. And we've had six member changes, I think. Um, and now I'm the only original member left. Okay. Yeah. The others are still alive. Um, just, yeah, just like just your not... uncle and uh, Close Shave. Exactly. You're the original member. Yep. And there's yep. something about the Bigbies. You stay as you are. <laughs> um, and then in 2017, we became a quintet. Um, and we have a vocal percussionist in the group now, which is really, it's amazing. He's, we call him a vocal percussionist because he actually emulates an acoustic drum set. He doesn't do... Wow any electronic beatboxing sounds. He actually just sounds like someone at a drum kit. <laughs> so, Installed in them, yeah, wow. Yeah, so that's incredible. Um, unfortunately, we're now spread such that we can't get together and sing because our soprano lives in Melbourne, our sound engineer and our bass live in Adelaide, and our vocal percussionist is uh, an amazing musician from Tokyo. So he's back home with his family. So are you, are you shelved? Are you doing anything at the moment? Or? So we are on a COVID-enforced hiatus wow, at the okay. moment, um, as are most performers. Um, yeah. performers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're not, we haven't actually tried to record as yet, but we think, I, I think it's going to get to a point where we're just going, okay, enough is enough. We've got to... We have to do something. We've got to do something. Yeah. I mean... It's been all we can do, I'm sure, as many, many, any, any, anyone who's in the arts knows, it's been all we can do to actually just find other work to yes. keep paying the rent and keep yep. ourselves going. Um, and so we're just getting super creative about that stuff at the moment. And hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll be able to get back to being creative about um, our music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Mate, um, and, and just briefly, um, you do all of the arranging in Idea so, of North? So um, I do almost none of the arranging in the <laughs> Idea of North. I do a lot of the arranging of gigs. <laughs> <laughs> no, our, our musical director is our alto. Her name's Naomi Krellen, and she is, I believe, one of the best vocal arrangers in the world. Well, there's an um, there's a, a infamous story about her. Um, I'll, I'll come back to the arranging in a second, but... Correct me if I'm wrong, um, she was a massive fan before she joined the group and, and didn't she come into the group and correct you guys on a few notes during her audition? Uh, not we guys, just me. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, Nick, it doesn't go that way, it goes this way. But actually, but actually the, the hilarious thing about that is that that was because she had come in and just 
sung the charts we'd sent her so perfectly that we actually yeah. gave her a chart to sight sing yeah. in the audition. Yeah. And it was at the end of the chart that she was sight singing yeah. that she pointed out that I oh made my a few mistakes. That's so she, insane. So she not only was reading her part, <laughs> but she was looking at the chart so holistically that she noticed that I was making a couple of mistakes in the chart. So that is crazy. an extraordinary story. Um, um, yeah. I, you're all beautiful, of course, but there's, there's something... Uh, um, just the temptation to think that, you know, therefore Naomi must be some sort of musical machine uh, makes me say she's also just such a beautiful presence on stage, I think. She's so, so watchable and you can just get lost in her performance. Just yes, to, yeah. she's, she's very, very natural. She is just who she is on stage. And I think, nice. I think that's the culture of our group that we've tried to uh, cultivate is that when you step out onto stage, you are actually just who you are. Mm. And you, there's, no, there's no mask, there's no um, performance uh, sort of you know, cloak that you put on. Um, you come out, you are who you are to the audience. And I really, I really think that helps an audience relax. Um, and I think if, if you have that capacity to, to drop the pretense about the fact that you're on stage because we're all just humans, uh. you're on stage. And if you, if you can get to that point that we were talking about before, when you stop thinking about yourself, then what that does is that recognizes that you are simply a, a vessel for the music that you are presenting. So the music is the important thing about you being up there. And the fewer distractions you can give when you are actually singing music to the audience, then the better the song is going to come across. So distractions include, you know, out of tune singing. I'm, mm. I, I, I make, of course. I make no bones about it. Um, and poorly, poorly um, prepared performances. Mm -hmm. but, but I think other distractions for the audience, even though they're... they're they're, they're less obvious are things like the performer not thinking about the words and not actually and just thinking too much about being great and too much about getting the notes right and all that kind of thing so where you bring where you can think about yourself and should sorry for this becoming a, <laughs> a tutorial no, on, on the contrary you're basically, on you're basically writing the performance category of the barbershop judging <laughs> system like this is what we do in the performance category right. everything you're saying and so i feel like the the time that you bring yourself to the stage should really be in between the songs and and that time is super important as well for the audience because that's the time when you can make an audience feel really relaxed or really uncomfortable and uh, and you know we focus a lot on making sure that the audience feels at home and they feel comfortable with the fact that we are human and that we are going to present the songs in a certain way but actually we're going to do it pretty in a pretty relaxed way uh -huh. and a pretty real way but then when the song's happening it's not about us anymore so I think this is, these are pretty important things that I've learned over that's, the years. That's amazing, mate. No, that's really gold uh, uh, observations and advice for everyone. We will finish up in just a few minutes. Um, yeah, cool. But, but um, before I ask my last question, um, just on sort of that point, maybe of sort of a repertoire, um, yeah, what, what have you 
learnt over the years about um, about uh, the way any of your ensembles, whether it be Fall of the Bar or Idea of North, operates and, and, and uh, tell us some stories about songs that you thought you might love to sing but you've had to throw them out or vice versa? Um, ensembles, let me think. Pearls of wisdom about ensembles. Well, one thing that someone told us once, and to be honest, I can't remember who it was, <laughs> was that one way to become, one of the ways in which you need, uh, how do I put it? Um, one of the most important things about becoming, you know, any kind of successful in a group, in, in commercially or, you know, in at a convention or whatever, is actually to stay together. Uh -huh. um, and I would like to add to that, because obviously a group that breaks apart is not going to become successful. But I'd, I would like to add to that that you actually have to like each other as well because, because the, audience, the audience is not... It's, it's really foolish to think that the audience is not able to see through um, that kind of stuff. We are... Just chemistry with each other, yep. Absolutely, because yep. your chemistry with, with each other goes beyond... Look, if you were in a group with four incredible actors... Because as singers, we are also have to be actors. Mm. But if you're in a group with four incredible actors, then maybe you could get away with it for a while. But it's going to affect, it's going to affect how you perform. In Let's very... just assume most of us aren't amazing actors. Yeah. yeah. So we just have to play it straight down the middle. Absolutely. So yeah. I would suggest, um, I guess, one of the things that we've found is that we have to keep our communication open i mean right. look i say all of this and i also uh, uh, proffer the caveat that singing in a, a vocal group is really it's such an incredibly difficult thing to do because to give feedback to someone about their singing it's pretty it is, personal it is very difficult yeah. to to not take that personally yeah. and we've developed a few really useful techniques to help reduce um, defensiveness, which I think is a real killer. Amazing. Um, and also, you know, it's about how you, it's not just about how you take criticism or construction, constructive feedback, it's actually very much about how it's given 100%. as well. Um, and so I think communicating about that stuff is really useful. In fact, essential. And You're unfortunately, right. a lot of people don't, a lot of groups don't get, they don't learn that. They don't learn that. You can't just communicate a lot. You've got to communicate about how you communicate. <laughs> this is absolute gold. Um, no, th thank you, Nick. That is absolutely brilliant uh, observation and advice. Mate, we, we do have to finish up. Our time is basically up. But in 30 seconds or a minute, uh, my, my favourite question to finish on is, what, do, you, do you have a piece of advice that 2020 Nick Begbie would give 1993 Nick Begbie? <laughs> that is such a hard question. <laughs> I oh love finishing with that. The thing is that there is so much advice. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, look, I think the key one would be lyrics are king. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Because that took me a while to learn. I was all about sounding beautiful and getting the piano parts right for a while there. And um, 
lyrics are king. And, and our job as singers is to affect people we're singing for. Talk about finishing on a high. Um, yeah. Mate, thank you for your time. Uh, this has been absolutely brilliant. It's been on uh, Ashes and My Radar for quite some time now to get you on the podcast and you have just spent um, 45 minutes demonstrating why we've wanted to do that. Oh, lovely. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Uh, thanks for the laugh. Thanks for the excellent um, uh, uh, thoughts and, and observations and, and, and uh, um, thoughts to, to the listeners. And mate, thank you for your contribution to Barbershop, which will always be in in, uh, in, the, in our history. And thank you for your legacy to music in Australia with Idea of North and, and long may it continue. Thanks Absolute pleasure, Richard. Thank you so much. And see you, everyone. Pardon me.